those of you I find lacking will quit. And those of you who refuse to quit will have a training accident. This base suffers three training accidents a year. Unfortunate accidents that I will not hesitate to repeat if you cross me. Is that understood? Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies and specifically talk about a movie at least one of us on the show has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 79. Our movie this week was Basic from 2003, and joining me are the gray muzzles, Dusty Red and Dusty White. Howdy. Hi. How you guys doing? Uh, hopefully you're joining us in a drink. We're going to kind of hijack <laughs> what we do in our show for yours. And figuring with a movie that's from 2003, we got Red Bull and... And vodka, which is basically a drink from 2003. So. That it is. Uh, I'm not having Red Bull and vodka, but I am drinking a Northern Hawk Owl from a uh, local, dis- uh, local brewery here. So I'll crack that open. Write that on the to-do list. It's a nice amber ale. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, right. uh, so, Basic from 2003. Had either Neither of you had seen this before. Had either of you heard of it before? Nope. I have not even heard of it. Okay. <laughs> I consider myself a movie bu- movie buff, boop, bleh, buff, and no, I had not heard of it yet. I am not a movie person, so I was just like, uh, okay, <laughs> even looking for it, like, okay, I'm going to find basic. Nope, not basic instincts. Nope, not this movie from Cinemax. Nope, oh, this is getting vulgar really quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, the title isn't great, but the title actually came from a line in the movie where it's just where um, Travolta's character says, you know, murder is basic, and he goes mm-hmm. on about that, but... Uh, 2003, directed by John McTiernan, starring John Travolta and Sam Jackson. Uh, the first movie the two of them had been in together since Pulp Fiction in 94. I'm still believing that's Nick Cage as John Travolta, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I would say is the fact that neither of you had heard about it kind of is something that I want to talk about with this movie because I feel like it's underappreciated because it's underseen. Not enough people know about it existing at all, let alone having seen it. Um, And I'm not sure why exactly that is. It didn't have a huge release. I didn't see it in theaters. I remember it coming. I want to say I I like ran across it at a video store or something, maybe a year or two after it came out and I just grabbed it and, uh, and gave a listen, but it's actually a pretty good movie. It's a pretty good little, like kind of uh, military thriller. Yeah. Just psychological type. Like it's, <laughs> I, I mean, I was seriously thought I was watching Clue. <laughs> like the old, like I was waiting for, for Tim Carey to come out and go, but it could have happened like this. So it, was, it had that vibe going on of like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. So I did read a quote from the screenwriter who said he wanted to write a movie for all the fans that go into a movie and have it figured out in the first five minutes. He wanted to write a movie that would trick them. In some ways, Uh, yeah, in some ways, and I kind of want to talk about the writing and the directing a little bit later, but in some ways it it almost tries to overdo itself. 100%. Um, But I want to start with the cast and I want to start with Travolta because I think he's good in this. I actually really like him in this movie and he's done some garbage. 
Yeah. I mean, he's been in some garbage and he's been bad in a lot of movies, but he's really, I, I bought him the entire time in this. Yeah. This is, was this pre or post broken arrow? This is after him and a lot of his stints with Nick Cage. So there is that, and I made that joke earlier, but there is like a lot of those sort of Nick Cage movies are just bad, but they're good because they're bad. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this was only a Travolta was playing the role, which in of itself was playing a role in the role, I guess. But yeah, I mean, he, he came off as believable right out the get go of like kind of strung out, not even strung out, but this drunk. I mean, the, the, this one over here, Dusty White's getting like big grins seeing the, the Jack Daniels bottle <laughs> in the shower. Like, oh, you've had a night like that. Yeah, you know, he's he's playing the, the role of a semi-disgraced DEA agent who was also ex-Army, uh, has a connection to the Army base and to Sam Jackson's character. I just, I liked him. He felt natural in this to me. And I've seen too many times whether it's, you're right, in a lot of his 90s stuff especially was that, um, you know, Broken Arrow, Face Off, where those so bad they're good movies where they're cheese ball, but you, yeah, you get something out of them. He did a stretch of stuff after this was things like Punisher. Um, Swordfish was right around the same time that he mm-hmm. was in. I didn't like him in those because he didn't feel like he fit the material. This felt like it fit him. I feel at some point Travolta fell the way of like Tom Cruise and like Will Ferrell where he just played himself in movies mm-hmm. and didn't feel that way. It felt like he was actually just the right amount of gravitas or the right amount of uh, swagger going, going into it and uh, played really well with some of the other characters. I mean, you're always going to look a little less gravitas next to Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Um, yeah, I Travolta, think he did a really good job. Travolta looks like a normal dude. Like in this movie, he looks like a very normal, even with a little bit of the shirt pulled up and a little beer gut kind of popping out. <laughs> he looks like a normal dude. So you, it, it becomes believable to be like, okay, he was in the military, but he's done. Everybody has an uncle or a family member that's former military and got the beer gut now. So you like you lean to that and go, all right, I, I'm, I'm down for this. I will say, though, the the shot of him after his shower where he's putting towel on, he, dude still looked good. Like, sure. Oh, no, and, for sure. Yeah. And, well, he looked, they, and he looked ex-military. And they, they made a point to make sure that the V of the towel was near the crotch to be like, <laughs> to roll, sexy, wink, wink. <laughs> Yeah, because this is, I mean, this is almost 20 years after, um, or over 20 years after um, Saturday Night Fever, because this was 2003. So, you know, he, this was after, this is probably, well, it's towards the tail end of the second low point in his career. So, (laughs) but, you know, I just, I thought he was good in it. I liked his, I liked the role of Tom Hardy. Uh, I thought it was funny that his name is Tom Hardy and. You know, a couple yeah, of years I, later, the actor Tom Hardy becomes a huge thing. As soon as he's like, they call him Tom Hardy. I just wanted to be like, well, hello, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I and <laughs> I did read that that was in the script. He was named Tom Hardy after the Hardy Boys, which makes sense. Okay. Um, so Sam Jackson, we mentioned him. He's in this. He's playing Sergeant West. Uh, he is the. Uh, what do they refer to him as? The black hat for this ranger group. Um, he's the leader for that. He's a drill sergeant. Uh, he's doing Sam Jackson things throughout the whole movie. It's great. You know, he gets to do a lot of yelling. Nobody yells like Samuel L. Jackson. Um, words. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and apparently he improvised a lot of his stuff, which I totally buy that. Like, that's, it. that's Sam Jackson. It, the only thing with his part 
that felt weird was right at the end. Felt so different from Girl with a white, a white shirt and just like, aha, what's up, buddies? What's yeah. up, guys? Yeah, it just it because it was such a different uh, personification of uh, of Sam Jackson. I mean, they're both very much him, but that was so different. It the first time I saw the movie, it was a little bit jarring that scene for a lot of reasons, not the least of which was how buddy well, buddy right. he was with everybody. Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know, that's one of those things of they don't show that character in any other way other than professional military screaming at you throughout the whole movie. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to like, hey, he's not being professional screamy guy, could be chill, laid back guy. Like, it's that if they would have showed more to be like, oh, if his normal life was like he's a drunk and everything else, I could see that. But they just show strict, like, here's him on the job. And then all of a sudden off the job, he could be somebody completely different. Like you see that with a lot of people in professional careers like that. True. And in on repeated watchings, it makes even more sense because now you kind of have an idea of what he's, he's supposed to be. He's playing a character right. throughout the whole movie. So absolutely. He, he's out there to set up the other, the other players. So you can play even lean into it a bit more. You go mm. further and say he's been playing the character his entire career. Like, yeah, West basically. Been, his entire career, he's playing as hard-ass drill sergeant when really he's section eight on the side and doing all this other stuff. So it makes sense to, to have that dichotomy. Yeah, that split. Yeah. Yeah, and I wish that Travolta and Jackson had had more screen time together because they're, they're only in the movie for literally one scene together. Right. And, and a flashback shot. Yeah, I was saying, and a, and a quick and a quick stabby stab, but that's about yeah. it. And they but, wanted to, and they almost kind of portray it as, oh, look, we've got these two characters back together again from Pulp Fiction, but <laughs> then they don't ever really have screen time. Yeah, which is interesting to me, but um, I, I just wish, because they, they work so well together. They were so good in Pulp Fiction together that you just want more of that. So, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think overall, I liked Sam Jackson in this too quite a bit. And it's not one of my favorite of his roles or most memorable. Sure. However, uh, that's that's such a tall order to fill. Like when you look at memorable stuff that Samuel L. Jackson has done, you know, the things that come to mind for me are Pulp Fiction. They are even Deep Blue Sea is very memorable to me because I saw that in theaters and I did not see what happened coming. So I know I don't know if either of you have seen that movie. Yeah, I have. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Chances are I've not seen the movie. Um, you know, Samuel L. Jackson in Die Hard with a Vengeance is another one that always comes to mind for me. So side one on that, there's a scene where he obviously yells at um, Bruce Willis and calls him, I don't know if this is, I've got one racist mf'er, And because it was on like USA or something, they changed the wording out to be right. like friendly. They made it more racist accidentally. He, lo he looked to um, Bruce Willis is like, you are one racist melon farmer. And I went, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll happen sometimes. I don't know if I ever heard that version. And I've, I've yeah, watched, I know I've seen yeah, it on TV before. Uh, I, I jumped that back a little bit. I just looked up and I'm like, did that just, that just that happen? All right, all right. That made it great. worse. I'm going to have to find that. Um, Connie Nielsen plays Captain Osborne. Now, I like Connie Nielsen a lot. And I think that she was 
a good choice as an actor in this, but her attempt at a Southern accent was horrendously bad. Very, very spotty. As somebody that could consider herself that you, somewhat Southern. Uh, you are south was, of I-80. That's it. Calm down. <laughs> it was not possible. Uh, uh, D plus at best. Yeah, I, and you know that's that's not entirely her fault. I don't know how much time she had to. I mean, she's Danish, so you know, it, American English already is going to be a stretch for her. But I don't know how much time she had to prepare for that because I don't know quite what the production schedule was like for this movie. Um, sure. But that was the weakest thing, honestly, yeah. overall in the movie for me was her accent. Because it was so, it was there and then it wasn't there and it felt, there were times where it sounded okay and then the very next thing that would come out of her mouth just sounded awful. So. I I almost, like, I wasn't a fan, personally. I wasn't a fan of Connie Nielsen. Like, uh, the, I guess her as an actress is fine. The accent definitely caught me. I was like, is she trying to, like, make fun of the American cowboy type thing? Because both was kind of rolling into, like, I'll solve this. I'll take care of this, ma'am. And even with the blatant misogyny playing through um uh, it's like oh okay but i i don't know i didn't like the character George osborne and and dusty white and i even like paused the movie a couple of times which is a separate thing we'll get into in a second but like we paused the movie and we're just like i i guess we're like we're her she's us we're definitely we're the through audience. her point of view Everything's she's kind her. of a mary sue somewhat like a mary like not a mary sue. Not she a mary sue. But. but just she plays that role as a She's the guide. Every the person, everyday person. Yeah, she's the audience surrogate. She's also supposed to be, in a, in the end, kind of the hero of the story. It's yeah. not really Travolta as the hero. It's really Osborne mm-hmm. is, what, is what's supposed to be getting set up. So I can see what you're saying, and, and I kind of get it. I just, I like Connie Nielsen. I liked her since I saw her in Gladiator, and I've seen her in a mm-hmm. few other things, and she's always been very good. I liked some of the things she was doing in this role physically that they had her do. They had, um, I know one of the things they did was they actually put extra weight in her boots. They gave her really heavy boots and put weights in them so that the way she would move was a lot heavier and more masculine as a more way, military. yeah, as a way to portray she's been in the military uh, a lot more. So I liked that. I just think just what let her have a little- straight American accent. What was with the little fight scene between there? Like everything was good. And all of a sudden they had this, like, we're going to pretend we're an action movie for a second. And then like the forced romance was hard for me. Oh, to that was painful. Like, so it's funny uh, because there was a, there's a trivia bit where McTiernan says he had to try and get the two of them to tone down the sexual tension. So I don't know how much I buy that, but that, that <laughs> okay. one little shot, I think what that was is that was John McTiernan. And the producers basically saying, look, we've got John Travolta, who is a dancer, and we got to give him something. Because it's basically just a little dance between the two of them. The idea was, I think what the idea was, is they were trying to plant the seeds of maybe Tom Hardy isn't the good guy that you think he is. Right. To make that twist pay off more. So put a little something in there to to get some tension between the two of them. It was a little forced. I I didn't particularly love that. That was that 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 was painful, and then I'm like, okay, I see the obviously the misogyny and trying to like, okay, she's a love interest. He's blatantly flirting, and his his obvious attempts are just like, ah, I better do this. It's like, okay, whatever. Her kind of falling into it, it was just like, oh, that was forced. But then when they go into that little like locker, or not even locker, but that little side room fight scene, I'm like, 
all right, I'm checking out. Wake, wake <laughs> me up when this part's over. Now, I will say that that does fit her character to do that to him because you've just seen yeah. in a in a scene just before that her take the phone book to her ex-boyfriend's face right. out of basically she got pissed at him, slammed him in the face with that. So it makes sense that she would then get pissed with Hardy and throw him into this room. And right. he kind of has to reestablish his dominance. Like, look, no, you might be upset, but I still have the upper hand here. I think that's kind of what they were going for. It just didn't get executed very well <laughs> because it does. It feels shoehorned into a movie that didn't really have that. Yeah. You know? the, the, it's trying to be a, like, again, a psychological thriller. And then they're trying to edge in little bits of romance. Of like, eh, it could like, it could have been left on the cutting room floor and I don't think it would have made or break the movie. No, not at all. Wouldn't have changed a thing. I, I will agree with that. Um, let's see. Uh, some of the supporting cast. So we had Tim Daly plays Colonel styles. Now, prior to th- seeing him in this, I had never seen Tim Daly play a bad guy. Yeah, that was something I had kind of put in uh, on my notes. Um, I had in here Tim Daly, the wings guy. Yep. Um, <laughs> and he was always just kind of the straight, straight-laced good guy in anything I'd ever seen him in. He was Superman, but, for crying out loud. He was the voice of Superman in the first, in the Superman animated series when it debuted. Yeah. So, so is, that I, this, is that a conscious choice? Hey, everybody sees this guy as a good guy. But I kind of call him out early, like I. So, so to kind of go to, to 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 segue here a little bit. So, Red and I paused the movie at some point and wrote. There was like forty minutes left, and so we both wrote down our predictions of what we thought <laughs> was happening. Oh, interesting. And so on I, my list that we went down and like checkmarked afterwards, I definitely said like lead lead head guy Colonel is. Bad. Yeah, we both we both had Styles and um, uh, uh, Vilmer as like they're the ringleader. Okay. They, they were. Yeah. So, so I was just like, he, he did a good job, but there was just a couple of like I am one of those people that the director or or, or the screenwriter was trying to fool mm-hmm. because I go to a lot of those movies already going okay, this guy's bad. I figured this out. Like I got the plot line done. Okay, now I can check out of this movie, but. You this, did, this job this, you this do the, you did a lot you did a law and order thing the second guy <laughs> they bring on that did it like all right so i want to come back to that because i have some questions about that and movies in general that try to create mystery um but we'll come right. back to that i do want to talk some more about some of the cast because we got giovanni rabisi was lieutenant kendall now mm-hmm. giovanni rabisi is a fantastic actor and i think he's really good in this I always find this bit of trivia hilarious. He's a method actor. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but he's very much a method actor. He, 70% of his role in this movie takes place in that hospital bed. Apparently he didn't leave the hospital bed the entire day. Like when they would be shooting, he would just stay in the bed all day. But he also didn't bathe for a couple of weeks beforehand to create that character that he was. And it was, it was multiple people on the set saying, yeah, he, he was pretty ripe while they were shooting that stuff. That's method actors, though. They're a weird breed. But overall, I liked him in this. His character was terrible. I hate everything about Lieutenant Kendall. But I thought he was really good. Um, Brian Van... Oh, go ahead. I guess the 
method acting, I would rather take the dude that doesn't shower than Jared Leto sing, like sending condoms to me. Yes. Yeah. Ass. yeah. So I guess I mean, as far as method acting going, I'll, I'll take the dude that doesn't want to shower for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, that at least you can get away from eventually and it's not going to be traumatizing. Um, so, uh, let's see, Ray, Ray Dunbar was played by Brian Van Holt. Now this was the first movie I'd ever seen Brian Van Holt in. And I immediately was like, this dude is great. I want to see him in everything. And the same year he did a movie called confidence with, um, with, uh, shoot. What is his name? Andy Garcia's in it. And Ed, um, I can't think of it, but it's right there. It's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't, um, I can't think of his name, but it was, uh, it was very much like an oceans 11 style kind of con artist movie. He's great in that too. Um, he didn't take off and have like this huge star career that I kind of thought he would based on those two movies, but he has popped mm-hmm. up in some shows I've seen. I think I saw him in agents of shield. I've seen him pop up in a bunch of stuff. I just really like him. I, there's something about his presence. He can, he can toe the line sort of how Travolta does where, Travolta can be kind of smarmy and have that swagger to him, but you, you right. still you you still take him as like a good guy. I get that with Brian Van Holt. Brian Van Holt can can be that good guy, but he's got that kind of a little bit of a wink and a nod, and you, you're not quite sure where he's coming from. I think he fills that role of the any man, like the any mm-hmm. man, like working blue collar, like yes. comes from. Like the 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 farmer kind of guy, he just feels feels that way. Um, there was a couple of times I caught him, and I thought I could have sworn he was um, uh, what's his name Dun- Dunham from like uh the Transformers movies. Oh, he just had yeah. Chis- chiseled jaw, like crew cut. He just filled that role very well, but he definitely did carry the role of Dunbar very well. I definitely believed him in that that role. And he's got a lot to do in this movie because he's got to carry a lot of those interrogation scenes where you have to believe that he believes what he's telling you. Yes. And then, of course, by the end of the movie, you realize it's all a performance. And yeah, Dunbar, like, yeah, Dunbar is Pike is neither and is doing a whole performance for Styles and Osborne. So that's a really interesting thing to throw in there too. But I just, I really like Brian Van Holt and I wish he would have had like more kind of starring roles because he does have that chiseled jaw. He's got that, mm-hmm. that look about him that I just think works kind of like Tay Diggs. Tay Diggs is another person that I think I feel like could have had a bigger, more prominent career. He's worked, he's continuously working and he's had a good career. It's just that he had that look that you just, you mm-hmm. thought you'd see in like everything and him as Pike in this. Well, even looking looking him up a little bit, I was like, I know it's because I couldn't figure it out. And he did a lot of Broadway stuff too, though. So there mm. is that. I know Chicago. There you so, go. Yeah. He's so, a model and so, he played uh, the piano, the pianist in Chicago. Okay. So he's, he's definitely a multi-talented guy. So it, it does make sense that if, you know, Hollywood isn't calling, you just go to Broadway. and Oh, Rent too. Just, he was, he in, was rent. in Rent. I do know. That's why I think I know him from, yeah. from Rent. No, so <laughs> that, that would make sense. If, yeah, I would like to see him in more movies, but. He's okay. doing well on Broadway and other stuff. So, so good on him. Kudos. Yeah. And, and he's another one that I just, I like in everything I see him in. Uh, I mean, he was in um, the remake of the house on haunted Hill, which was a terrible movie, but I liked him in it. That's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> that movie was so bad. Oh, I know. Trust me. I saw it in theaters. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. 
Not the worst movie I've seen in theaters, though. So that should tell you something. Oh, um, yeah. A couple more. We had uh, Dash Mihawk, who has... I, I love his name. I'm sorry. That's just a great <laughs> name. But he's Mueller. Um, he is very one-note. He's playing the redneck character. So it's yeah. an easy character to play. He's good at doing that. But I, I like him in a lot of stuff because he, he has an imposing figure. He's a tall guy. And he just his look, he, he looks intimidating. So he's great to have to throw into a role as the redneck or the muscle or the, the, this guy, like I like him, but he's also, I've seen him do comedy and it's really funny because he's just got that kind of dumbfounded look. Sure. A big dude kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Mook is a great way to put it. That's perfect for him. (laughs) But I, but I like him a lot. So it was cool to see him in here. Uh, Rosalind Sanchez is Nunez. Um, -hmm. I knew her. Yeah, well, I knew of her when this when I saw this because she was in Rush Hour 2. Mm-hmm. And I had seen that just a little bit before this movie came out. So she was another one where they had to do a lot of stuff for her posture and the way she would move to make her look like she was in the military because she's a tiny little person. She's yeah. Like, even she's if- like 5'3 or 5'4 or something like that and, like, you know, weighs hey. nothing. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Well, we would do things to make it look like you were in the military too, Red. Uh, I'm, I'm like five, four ish. <laughs> a good day, ish, ish. But you know, they they have to. You have to do stuff to. I mean, because she's a beautiful woman, so they they really did a lot of makeup work for her field makeup to take a lot of the change the angles on her face. I remember well, watching has- uh, like a behind the scenes, and they made a con- they made a conscious effort for her makeup to make her look. To, to change the way the the shadowing and the contouring of her face was to make her look less like herself and blend they, in more. She, well, they also get, like, she played Psycho Girl, so she mm-hmm. definitely, they gave her a little, like, <laughs> side-eye type camera. Well, like, some of the angles was all, like, she'd, like, lift her head and look down or, like, yep. give you crazy eye you really and stuff like that. really tell the white of her eyes in some of the shots. Yeah. Uh, I mean, definitely for... The ambiance of the movie, talking about rain, hurricane, rain, 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 mud. Mm-hmm. Like it's really easy to make anyone look less feminine when you've got war paint and mud, and oh yeah, it's a hurricane. Yeah, and you know, again, she, her, like the characters of Nunez, Castro, Mueller, um, are very one note, very sing- singular, but they're supposed to be because they're just right. background players in this in this story that's getting told over and over. So, because I didn't even mention Christian De La Fuenta, I'd never seen him in anything before this. Um, I'm sure I've seen him in something, but I couldn't tell you what it was as Castro. And again, he's right. fine. Like him and um, Rosalind Sanchez and Dash Mahawk are good. They're not great, but they're not given a whole lot to do either. So for what they're given to do, they fit pretty well. Um, the only other one is Harry Connick Jr. as Vilmer, because while I was never a huge Harry Connick Jr. fan in terms of his music, the few movies I've seen him in, I love him. He's just there's he's got that that charisma that you you see in a few people that it's just like I don't care if you're playing a drug pushing doctor like you're I like you and that's the hard part is because he's so likable and yet he's a total piece of shit in this movie. Exactly. Likable. I mean, yeah, is that visually speaking likable guy that you're like, oh, dude, I want to have a beer with this guy. Yeah, cool, and then. And I feel like in this point in his career, he's trying to get away from being rom-com dot guy. Yeah. Because he's very much of a, like a one note actor at this point. 
Uh, you How know, to lose a guy in ten days? I mean, sure, you could have just in, in interchanged some of those actors. Something with Meg Ryan, <laughs> Zoom for that. Um, but yeah, he he did an okay job. Um, I I I feel for me, his, his character could have again flat kind of. He did an okay job, but he just did. I, I mean, I guess the role didn't really show a range. It was either swarmy hey old army buddy guy and then cross lover or like ex lover who was just a dirt bag yeah i i will say it was a little <laughs> uneven like they couldn't quite pick a lane for him to be in because yes he's friends with tom and they're old army buddies and he's been on the base forever but then he's also has the relationship with osborne it i think a little bit longer of a movie, you can make that character have a little bit more to him. So, but I don't want this movie to be any longer than it is because. <laughs> but can you make more out of it? Because yeah, there's, there's not much to that character. Well, there could Pardon be me. because you, you've got, you've established that he has history with both your leads, both Tom Hardy and Captain Osborne. So you almost could have made him be take, take parts of Colonel Styles and add them to Vilmer and make Vilmer the mastermind or take parts of Vilmer and put him on Colonel styles. Like those two characters kind of could have been meshed together. Point. Like they do kind of have the same note of, they could have been friendly douchebags. One, one character versus you took a character and split them into two. But I guess at that point it fit the plot or it fit the, the, the story that they were trying to tell. But I could say, yeah, I, I think I agree with Travis when he says that if they, they extended it a little longer, they could have given a bit more backstory for him. Yeah, I think maybe at one point, Styles and Vilmer were kind of one character and they split them somewhere in the writing process and they only got about 60% of the way fleshing out both of them rather than one character that was fully fleshed out. So Yeah. But in, a, but in a movie at this pace, yeah. and that's what... Uh, and I were talking about too. The, the, a lot of what works about this movie is the fact that it does go at such a rapid fire pace. Mm-hmm. You don't have time. To, so, in a way, and it's we're joking earlier when we paused the movie. I wonder if we cheated a bit because by pausing the movie, it gave us a second to go. What the hell is going on? <laughs> okay, this let's true. Let's backwards. Let's piece this together and go. What just happened? This is where we know. Ah, now let's see where the twists are turning going. So in a way, you could say we it's like playing a freaking online video game. There's like no pause button. You just have to react instantaneously by yeah. us pausing the movie and go, hey, this guy's this. We think this guy did this. This is what happened. Let's go from there. I mean, in a way, we inadvertently cheated, but that's why I feel where it's, it's it would be hard to explain why this this leader of this military base is also a doctor pushing drugs or whatnot. Like it'd be. Yeah. I definitely have it notated here that uh, fast pace uh, and being so quick quickly or, or being such a shorter movie that it's one of the plot tools mm-hmm. it it makes you go that fast because they want to catch you they don't want you to have too much time to think about things until yes. like later on in the movie mm-hmm. absolutely um so one last thing i want to say about harry connick jr is the character of vilmer you're right it's a little bit two-dimensional but if it's not harry connick jr it's forgettable because it's him and because he has a couple of pretty good uh, memorable lines in this movie moments that he had like it it elevates it it makes it better than it than it probably reads on paper like on paper 
it reads a lot worse than you then you get the actors of the caliber that they put in this movie and it makes it that much better it takes it to kind of a next level so um now pacing you bring up pacing and i love that because that is a huge thing for me with this movie is the pace of this movie works perfectly you don't get a chance you did yes you did cheat it a little bit by pausing but you know what honestly you can so that's fine (laughs) like i don't have a problem we live in that world (laughs) yes exactly but the way this movie is paced is great because you don't get a chance to fully take in what's going on and they purposely write things so that every time they're going into the flashback something's a little bit different yes the story is always getting told a little bit different you notice if you pay attention you realize like oh wait a minute he's talking about him being his partner but it was this guy like you get confused for a second and that's on purpose And I like that because it fits. You've got these two, they're basically getting the story from two different people and the two people are telling different versions of that story. So every time you do a flashback, it's going to be a little bit different. Now, one of the things that also works for this movie is John McTiernan. He's the director. John McTiernan has this ability to make the camera a character in his movies that a lot of directors don't do. So, there are directors like Michael Bay or Louis Leterrier who can make action look really interesting, right? They can create really interesting looking films and it's fast paced and it keeps your attention. It, it draws your eye to certain things. John, yeah. John McTiernan can do that with something like two people sitting across the table talking to each other. He can make that look interesting based on his camera placement, his camera movements, how he uses the camera as a character. If you get a chance, watch this movie again and pay attention to some of the camera moves that you that you see, some of the, the way that the camera is telling you the story because it's really neat the way you'll have a shot of Tim Daly in the helicopter and then it pans over to him looking down through the bottom of the helicopter and just the way the camera moves and how it draws your attention or the camera movement as um, John Travolta is sitting at the table asking a question, but the way the camera moves across his face and changes angles as he's asking his question is really neat. And then just simple stuff like showing the same thing in the bunker, but giving us a different angle and a different interpretation of it based on who is when telling the story. And McTiernan even said that in, um, he, he said that in this kind of a story, the camera needs to be active and kind of comment on what's going on and changing angles, depending on whose version of the story it is. You know, a soldier who's kind of dumb and innocent in one in his version of a story is going to be the mastermind in someone else's version of the story. So I just really like. And uh, the other thing he said was, it's like moving deeper and deeper into the jungle. And I just love that. And that's what makes that for me is what turns this movie from a hey, it's a pretty fun little story with some with some decent acting in it to a movie that I watch repeatedly every few years because of McTiernan's style. So. And it, it, it lends itself to rewatches too. I, I, watching it this time, I was reminded a lot of the usual suspects in terms of structure. Yep. And what made usual suspects work so well is the way that everything was structured in its flashbacks to where you never knew who was telling you what. And this movie tries to do the same thing. It's not quite there. This is the, the Kmart version of the usual suspects. You know, it's sure. the blue light special. Sure. It's a tightened version, though. At the same time, it's it, again, as you said, the pacing is its is its major like point that's trying to put across. The more mm-hmm. you think about it, the less it makes sense in a way. Like even Dusty and I were sitting there just going, 
uh, who shot Vendel again? <laughs> like, right, nobody, uh, we never figured that uh, out. And that's almost something, even when we went to go looking and kind of like dig through it, we were just like, it doesn't ultimately, at the end of the day, A, it doesn't matter because the story's left up to interpretation of who's ever telling the story in whichever version that is quote unquote true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't matter as it just, there, there doesn't need to be a plot point of who shot Kendall. Right. It, 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 how he got brought back to the hospital. Yeah, but I want to know who shot Kendall. <laughs> they never touch on that. He and shot it just, his own damn self. Who he shot himself in the ass? I guess. I mean, <laughs> they never like they never get to that. It's like everybody well, else is getting down, but. Yeah, what I, what I like about the movie is, so you start out, you're getting everything from Dunbar's point of view. And mm-hmm. it is, you Wait. know, they went out. Yeah, they went out on a training exercise. Things went bad. And then you get Kendall's point of view. And Kendall's point of view suddenly is putting Dunbar in this bad light. But neither one of them knows what the other one has said. And you start getting these little breadcrumbs of things. And what I like is the movie tried to, like, twist and twist in on itself. And in some ways... I have a note here that for for a portion of the movie, it was just one giant prisoner's dilemma. Yes. It was, who do you trust and who do you, like, the, the other guys are like, I'll tell you what happened if I get a deal mm-hmm. or vice versa. And for the good first, I want to say 45 minutes, that's all you're really getting is a bunch of different versions of the pr- prisoner's dilemma, even to the point of a layer upon a layer of... Travolta doing it to or uh, Tom Hardy's character doing it to Osborne of everybody knows bad cop good cop yeah what are you talking about hang you, on just a second hey no all popper poppers be be ad sorry dog dog digging through the garbage oh, in the room I'm in too oh, I mean. <laughs> Dusty yells at me when I do that too. So I can't. I don't. I don't. Um, yeah, I was just saying that. Did you notice a little point too? You want to talk like nuances, and it dawned on me later where they start like initially talking about baseball. Yeah. And baseball signs, and the signs being a touch nose, mm-hmm. and when you touch your nose, it's usually a cocaine reference. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Red, red looks for layers on layers. I like that sometimes. Guy. Well, and it's great because there. That's why when, when I say this movie has rewatchability, that's kind of what I mean. There's there's layers of things. You watch it again, you're going to pick up on so much that you missed the first time through because you're paying attention to something else. Right. It's That's what reminds me of The Usual Suspects. And the best, ver- the best way I've heard that described for a movie is when a movie can do that, it's like going and seeing a play, but then you go and see a play again, but you sit in a different part of the theater. It's a different experience. You're seeing a different play at that point. It's kind of like that. Every time you watch this movie, it's a little bit different. So. The unusual suspects that doesn't um, resonate with me only because I think by the time I watched it, it had already been kind of like spoiled for me. Um, But the prestige is one of my top five, easily one of my top five favorite movies. And that's one of those movies that does that for me is every time you watch it, you catch a couple of different nuances or a couple of different things or the way this shot was filmed versus another way. And that, that definitely resonates with me in this movie as well. That's sure. a that's a great example of that same type of thing. So yeah, totally. Because I love both of those movies, and both of them do the the same thing. Where that's this, it's the slow reveal of here's a little bit more story. Here's a little bit more story. Oh, you think you know what's going on? No, no, no. It's this. Uh, Actually, no. It's this. 
<laughs> and I love that because like the, the way they did the reveals in this was kind of cool. Throughout the whole movie, like I say, if you go back and watch it again, watch it thinking about Tom Hardy being the bad guy throughout mm-hmm. the whole movie. You'll look at his performance differently. And then, and then, you know, right at the end when they pull the rug and they show, oh, no, he's actually the leader of Section 8 and they're good guys. It's a, it's a it's a totally different type of reveal than the first time you see it where you're almost like being hit from all sides so quickly that you don't know how to even react to it. And, and, uh, and old girl does a good job too of, of that. Connie Nielsen does a really good job of like when she's walking in and everybody's just chumming, having dinner around the table and you can see the, the crestfallen of like, ah, shit. Like, yeah, now like, what? Like, part of me was even like, are they just going to kill her? Like, are they just going to be like, Hey, <laughs> found us you're, you're dead now and she's like now what like no no you're, yeah. you're smart now you can be jo- they said it was just one giant job application clearly <laughs> yeah pretty much but i love that too because now like you get done with the movie and you realize nothing that was you were told in the entire movie it make is true none of it it's all it's all bull i have a note here that i and and obviously other movies had done it beforehand but mm-hmm. i look back and go how different did you would you have watched this movie in the time period of 03 versus in 04 when Saw was made? And all through when when they suspect West to be dead, I was like, West's not dead. That's dumb. <laughs> West is so not dead. Like the body or whatever. And obviously, again, later on they reveal that he never died to begin with or whatever. But the first shot when they were like, oh, he got blown up by a grenade. I was like, he is not dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting about that is because, again, you're getting everybody's account of it, right? So first he's killed by a phosphorus grenade. Then he's killed by full automatic. But it's it's always somebody different killed him in a different way somehow. And then you find out, no, it didn't actually happen that way. Like it, what this movie is is also, um, if you're familiar with, Akira Kurosawa, it's Rashomon. It's another version of Rashomon. So where it's everything being told and you just, you just never know. And then the truth, what actually would have happened in this story is different from everything we've heard. What I like is that you never find out what that is. So it leaves you wanting more. And I, I, even of Osborne walking into the kitchen and her visualizing or thinking in her head that, uh, West was clearly stabbed by Hardy and that was like, where did you pull that out of? Because that's clearly not ever talked about. But in her head, she had put mm-hmm. pieces together that clearly meant Harding was out there and Harding stabbed him. And I was like, okay, I, I, I get sort of where you're going with that. But again, it's very true. Is it's it's all about the manipulation behind the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just I love I love stories that do that because they make me think and they keep me they keep me thinking and guessing throughout the whole thing. Just when you think you figured out what's going on, here's another little kernel, and that one happens to throw everything. It's a total curveball left-hand turn, and now you've got to reevaluate everything that you've seen beforehand. And I like right. a movie that does that because it makes me want to go back and watch it again when it's done well. Now, I have seen movies that try to do that, that just do a horrible job of it, and they become a jumbled mess. This movie had the potential to do that, but because I think the script is fine i don't think the script or the story being told is exactly spectacular it's not on the level of the prestige or usual suspects or rashomon at all but i think that the combination of the 
actors they had and the direction of John McTiernan, um, I think that's what elevates it to something that I feel is worthy to watch more than once. Oh, they, they definitely seem very excited to play those roles. Like that's the movie itself. Yeah. The movie itself was okay. Um, fun. Definitely not a great movie, but it's definitely a fun, entertaining movie. And I think what helps with that is the fact that again, we, we said it earlier, the, the entire cast seemed very excited to go to work that morning to do that, mm-hmm. to, to film. So that kind of, it's, in, it's infectious that way because yeah. you believe that they're having fun and that you're like, I guess subconsciously or subliminally or something, you're like, oh man, these guys are like really getting into it. It may not be the best script, but I'm believing what they're saying. So hell with it. Let's do it. Yeah. It doesn't feel like anybody phoned in their, their performance. Give me my check. I'm going home. Cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I killed it. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely nobody there collecting a paycheck. Like, everybody's really putting in work. So this is the third John McTiernan movie that I've covered on this show because I've covered Die Hard and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Die Hard with a Vengeance was actually the very first episode we did. And then I found somebody (laughs) who had never seen Die Hard. I made him watch that. That was Alex L.B. Sue, by the way. Yeah, which is, I mean, I want to be surprised and I'm not. Love you, Alex. (laughs) But... You know, it's this this being the third John McTiernan, it got me to thinking, like, where would I rank this movie in my John McTiernan movies? Because I like directors and I like John McTiernan a lot. I've, I've kind of already gushed quite a bit about his style. And he, I mean, this is a man who became known as the action movie guy, right? Predator, literally, Predator, Die Hard, The Hunt for Red October. Yep. Those three in a row. I mean, that's crazy. And those were basically his first three major films. He'd done one before Predator called Nomads, but it wasn't wasn't nearly on the, the level of any of those. Do you feel like he eventually ate almost like technically ate, I don't want to say aged out of it, but like technology kind of became uh, a little bit more advanced for him? Because then you got John Woo and all these other, the, the Matrix brothers, you get more of those action fields. Uh, action-filled um, movies that maybe McTiernan didn't keep up with? It's hard to say because after Hunt for Red October, he did Medicine Man and Last Action Hero. Neither of those was a huge hit, but Last Action Hero is a lot better than people give it credit for if you go back and watch it. That's you got have a soft to, spot. Well, you have to look at that movie as a satire of action films. And the problem was it wasn't really marketed that way, and that's not what people expected, so it bombed at the box office pretty bad. Go back and watch it. It's a lot better than than you'd think. I wonder if that would have done better in the world of scary movie. Oh, 100%. If that movie came out 10 years later, it would have done a a whole lot better. It was was ahead of its time. Yeah, very true. Because that's even pre-Scream by several years. Yeah. Yep. Um. But then he did Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is my second favorite of the Die Hard franchise. I love that movie a lot, and that's a fantastic action movie. After that, Thomas Crown Affair is another one of those that's better than you th- remember it being. I mm-hmm. like that movie, actually. I like Pierce Brosnan, though. So I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm guilty <laughs> of that one. Boy. I'm a little fanboy. I like Pierce Brosnan. Like, it also I, has, I'm, I'm, yeah, and it has that great scene at the end with the briefcase. And the, mm-hmm. the um, I can't think of the song now, but that whole scene at the end is just phenomenal. He also did The 13th Warrior, which is another one of those kind of underappreciated movies. It's better than you would think it is. Yep. Yeah. Um, Rollerball was not good. I will admit that. Rollerball was pretty bad. Then he did Basic, and that's it. He hasn't directed a movie since he made Basic. Now, some of that is because he had some legal problems. 
Uh, he spent a year in prison and had to liquidate a ton of his assets because of some illegal wiretapping he did on his ex-wife. I don't know. I don't know the full story of it. I read a little bit and it had something to do with either she was having an affair or he thought she was, or I don't know what, but he, he tapped her phone and some other guy's phone. And that's very much illegal, especially in California. And he got slapped pretty hard for it. So he hasn't. Yeah. (laughs) And so he hasn't directed since 2003. Now he does have a pre-production movie called Tau City four on his IMDb page. But honestly, it's pretty sad that somebody who has the pedigree of him in terms of films to have done nothing in the last 17 years is, to me, kind of heartbreaking because I don't know him as a person and who know I don't know the full legal uh, ramifications of whatever it was he did. But just as, a, as an artist, it's kind of sad to not have him still making movies. Because even listening to him in interviews... He always had this really interesting kind of viewpoint on making movies, and it was always kind of fun to listen to him talk about making movies because you could tell he just really enjoyed it. He has a he's a very laid back kind of tone of voice, and he sound like his director commentaries are snooze fests. They are so boring because he's so monotone and he's just so laid back. But what if you can get past how boring it is to listen to him? What he has to say is really interesting. So I'm just kind of bummed that this was the last thing that he did. At least he went out on a high note and he didn't end no. his career with rollerball. Cause that would be bad. <laughs> and that's, I think, that's a model for life. Everybody, whatever you do in your life, just don't, don't go out on rollerball. Roller yeah. <laughs> if you can help it, don't do it. Um, yeah. At some point I'm going to have to do predator on this show. I got to find somebody who hasn't seen that because that is like a quintet. What? Well, all right. I, uh, it's a, it's it's like if you looked if if you were to look up action movie in a dictionary, Predator is kind of the what you would see like eighties action film. Yeah, it's, I feel like I can raise my hand justifiably and say I've never seen it, but I bet I could name at least seven out of the ten tropes that are going to be in it. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure, because <laughs> it's it's a trope fest, and it's I equate Predator to testosterone on film. Cause it's just, yeah. let's take a, let's take half a dozen of the biggest, beefiest guys we can. We're going to put them in military gear. We're going to drop them in the jungle and we're going to have them chase an alien. Mm-hmm. That's predator. Basically. Am I the only one that likes Danny Glover and, and predator two? Like, no. Only- <laughs> no, predator two. So for the longest time, I did not like predator two because it wasn't predator, right? It just didn't live up to it. But I watched it again. I can't remember how many years ago now. And I was like, holy shit, this is really good. Like, this is actually a good movie. It's just that everyone compares it to Predator. Right. Which is unfair, because it, it's a different movie. It's it's old guy that should have retired by now. Yeah. <laughs> running from space alien that's going to rip his face off. It's fun. Pretty much. It's better than any of the Predator sequels or Predator versus Alien stuff that's come out, so. Uh, True story. Even though Predators, the one with Adrian Brody, and Lawrence Fishburne and Topher Grace is in it, I think. Um, that was decent. It was different. It was very different from other the other Predator movies, but it was decent. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> just getting back to McTiernan, like, I just, I, I wish, because I don't think, like, I think he could have embraced some of the technology that you were, you were mentioning mm-hmm. in that I think he would have 
kind of done what J.J. Abrams has brought about in the last few years, uh, the last, say, 10 years, which was a real good mixture of practical and CG. And I can see McTiernan kind of in that vein because he's an old-school filmmaker. You know, he shot on film. He did everything in camera. You look at Die Hard and the way they did their, their effects and that. So I could see him having the kind of gravitas to be able to say, no, 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 we're not going to just make this all CG. Because one thing I did, there was one shot in this movie that had some CG blood that looked completely out of place. It pre, you probably didn't even notice it as blood because um, it just looked terrible. The but, vomity. Oh, it, is that like when Kendall get poisoned? Or no, whatever? not that. That actually, uh, to me, is still pretty gruesome to watch. Yeah, um, yeah it's pretty gruesome. No, there's a shot of Mueller in the bunker and or maybe it's outside when he shoots west and you see his face there's one quick shot of it and you can tell they they like added digitally some blood to his face but it just looks terrible yeah but i could i just i could see mctiernan really kind of being doing more stuff like this which is a smaller budget not this big budget action stuff and doing it well because he's so good at being able to create visual visually interesting stuff out of things that are pretty mundane. I mean, I know there are shots in Die Hard with a Vengeance he did that are nothing but Bruce Willis riding in the back of a truck. And I'm like, this is compelling to look at. You know, he just, he uses his frame so well. And I just wish he could have kept doing stuff. And I'd like to see whatever this Tau Ceti 4 is, if it's an actual thing and it ever happens. I don't know, just 17 years of not making a single thing is pretty sad. Yeah, and that's one of those things where you look at it and go, how many people did he inspire, though? Like, I mean, even bringing up, you know, Wu and some of the other action action directors, um, he's obviously very prolific enough in those those veins to be honored in the way he, he did things and them kind of mirroring it or Im- uh, Im- imitating it, for sure. He- yeah, what he reminds me of, and this isn't a direct comparison, but think of like the Beatles and how the Beatles catalog is not a ton of albums, but they're all so good. Like they just have mm-hmm. good album after good album. Even the be- a bad Beatles album is still a damn good album. A bad John McTiernan film, with the exception of Rollerball, is very watchable. <laughs> I'll give you that. Um, and then you, but you look at somebody who's still making movies like a Michael Bay. And it's almost a kind of Beatles versus Rolling Stones. Like the Stones have a ton more albums. Some of them aren't very good. Yeah, no, he's just going to pump out movie after movie. He's definitely got the spaghetti method of throw it at the wall, see what sticks. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I just, I want to see, I'm glad that at least we have what we do with McTiernan because, you know, it's a, it's a short, I mean, 1986 was his first film. 2003 was his last. So 17 years of filmmaking. But you've got Predator, Die Hard, The Hunt for Red October, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Those four movies alone, you, you're never yeah. going to be able to get away from the guy. National line of, of greatness there, those kind of movies. So, yep, I mean, that's McTiernan. Overall, I like this movie a lot, and I watch it. So since it was probably 04, I think, when I first saw this movie. And since then, I've probably watched it five or six times. Like, I just enjoy it that much. It's definitely something I would rewatch again just to see if I could pick up a little of that, those other nuances I didn't catch. Um, 
like I said before, it's one of those things where uh, I think it's interesting for Red and I to be the people that watch this is because uh, LARPing kind of gives us that that paranoid vibe. Um, sometimes you just don't know who to trust ever. Uh, oh, so, we're, we're also we're I mean, we're also well, you're, you mentioned earlier too, like you do D&D and stuff like that as well. Like we're also D&D players, but we're also storytellers and creators, world creators and DMs and all that stuff. So there is a lot of that. Kind who who do you go into trusting at all? Yeah, the ever. analytics of like, okay, wait, how, what is going on? What What is the deeper, like, how much deeper can we go? Yeah. Like I said, I was waiting for Tim Curry to come out and be like, but it could have happened like this. And like, <laughs> all right, happen, let's do this. Yeah, the second part, the, the first part talking about Prisoner's Dilemma, the second part of the movie for me was it, like, how how far does the rabbit go, the, the rabbit hole go? And mm. how far up the, because I started thinking... Kendall's character and his father and and it even being higher up in the chain of being um other than just colonel's uh styles i was like oh how far does it go to the top like who who's the section eight and like i start, my brain just started going on overdrive like hamsters long dead in the there was smoking the, the smoke alarm went off in the apartment <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i i definitely enjoyed it um i i didn't didn't know I went in not knowing what to expect, and I'm glad I I experienced it that way for sure. Yeah, that's I'm, the way to experience this movie, by the way. Don't I, the first time, don't know anything about it. I wanted to dislike it. I really <laughs> wanted. I was like, I'm watching. Oh, this is so. And then I mean, as that's I'm like, how you watching, go into every film, though. Well, and I came in, I'm watching, I'm like, okay, this is all right, not bad. Well, it's an hour and a half. I could deal with this. And as I'm getting out, I'm like, uh, again, that pace, that mm-hmm. pacing just. What happened? Wait, which is okay. That doesn't make sense. And then obviously they start leaving breadcrumbs mm-hmm. of just like, oh well, he said he was shot. Well, he never got shot. Oh, what do you mean poison? And then again, start catching the little the nose touch and there's the, the mention of cocaine and drugs. And, and you're just like, okay, just need to slow down so I could think, but I can't think. I'm just gonna. And then like I said, that's <laughs> at that point, forty minutes left. We paused it and went, make your prediction. Let's have fun with this. And so she wrote down a bunch of notes. I wrote down a bunch of notes. And just like. Fairly accurate, but definitely thrown for some stuff. But it was a case of, yeah, I wanted to dislike the movie. But then as it came in full force, I was like, God darn it. This is actually fun. Not a good movie, but it's fun. And I, yeah. and I enjoy fun movies. Awesome. Okay. All right. So now I got to know your predictions. So we'll start with White. Dusty White, what were your predictions that you made when you guys paused the movie? Yeah, I don't want to know if... Left. I don't want to know if they were right or not yet. I just want to know what your predictions were. Okay. Then I want to get reds and then I want to compare them. So West not dead. Okay. Uh, lead head guy is in charge. Okay. Uh, this is a test for Tom Hardy's character. Okay. And uh, Cap and I, I apologize. This is going to sound cr- crash now that I or crash now that I wrote it down. But Captain No Tits is not a dumb <laughs> as she seems, and uh, Pike was a plant, but died due to the drug plot. That those were verbatim my my notes. Okay, those are pretty good. All right, Red, what were yours? Uh, out the gate, I had um, the soldiers' packs were uh, containing drugs. So that's okay. why they were marching over the, the canal. West is still alive. Um, Dunbar is the guy that's set up to deal with everything. I just wrote that because I'm like, he, he has some way. I wasn't 100% sure, but he was like the guy to deal with it all. Um, the ringleaders, the styles, and what was I put? Head of hospital, but that was... Uh, filmer um testing tom hardy's uh loyalty and innocence as a dea and oswald's the real test is she going to 
Is she going to progress? My words, wording here is, is she going to progress? Is she okay. So I think overall, you guys actually hit pretty close because you both had West being alive. That one, that's a that's a pretty, I would say that's not a much of a stretch yeah, it's almost to, a to guess that, um, especially in a movie like this, where it's just basically a whodunit. Like you're, you're probably not going to reveal, oh, he actually did get killed. That would have been an interesting twist, but um, so that's a good one. You kind of both touched on Osborne um, saying that she's not as dumb as you would think. And maybe this is kind of a test for her. And you'd mentioned uh, about it being a test for Tom Hardy. So that sort of fits in that he's running the test on Osborne. Mm-hmm. So you weren't that far off there. So yeah, I think you were kind of, you know, you saying that you are the, the type that has stuff figured out early on. Like, I'm similar. A lot of times I'll be watching a movie. I can remember going and seeing um, Wesley Snipes' movie called The Art of War. I went and saw <laughs> that in the theater. And I knew in the first five minutes, I'm like, oh, there's your bad guy. He'll be coming back in the end of the movie. Because they yeah. just tipped their hand way too much for it. It was too obvious. What I liked about this was the first time I saw it, yeah, there's stuff they're tipping their hand to. Again, like a usual suspects or the prestige, they're giving you a little bit of it and they're giving you just enough of it to make you feel like you know what's coming. But then they're gonna they're gonna mess with you right at the end. Having West not be killed, sure, you kind of have to see that coming. But now you find out, oh, he was sort of a plant the whole time. Right. And so was most of the unit that right. they were dealing with. And, and it was actually fewer people involved in the drug issue than you would have thought, maybe. Right. And that's their big thing is like they definitely tip it to be like, okay, how many of these – as you're watching it, you're going, okay, there's six of these assholes in the jungle and like five of them are problematic. And then you – the big reveal, it's like, oh, no, only really one was the problem. Like. Yeah, two, two, <laughs> two were technically two a problem. Two were yeah. a problem even though they weren't that big of a problem. Wow. Okay. I, I kind of like the fact that it left you at that point, especially since uh, we've already talked about Osborne being the audience's point of view. Mm-hmm. That the arc words, you know, the trope of arc words that were heard were the tell the story, right? Yeah. And the way that they played with audio sometimes during the movie and stuff was muffled mm-hmm. or you didn't get to hear it because Osborne wasn't hearing it. So Osborne hearing it, but not really hearing it. And then obviously Harding walk or Hardy walks away. It kind of leaves you of like, you have to kind of catch up just as much as Osborne does. And then obviously again, Osborne painting that picture as she's following these two yeah. And she fills in gaps how she sees it. And then obviously the big reveal at the end is, ah, gotcha. Like we, <laughs> it was it was all we were all the good guys at the end of the day. Anyway, mm-hmm. you now get to be part of the good guy group because you've proven yourself. Well, and and White point out too, like if she did not bite on that last clue that Hardy that Hardy dropped of just like uh, what was the line again? Uh, uh, tell tell the story right. Tell the story right. If she did not catch up on that clue, that last like little drop, mm-hmm. everything still just went fine. Like she yeah. still would have been good. She was she a commander. The, she, she did okay. A hero. She's a hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a friend. Like she gets to meet up with Tom on a Tuesday night and for some bow chicka wow wow. <laughs> like no yeah. big deal. But that extra little piece of wait a second, 
and then they're like, yeah, no, you 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 followed all the breadcrumbs, not just quit when you thought you, thought you the won. Bad guy was dead. Like, yep. yeah, you thought you won. There was actually a bonus secret level. Congratulations. That was that was cool. that was a nice little. Yeah. Again, that's that's the type of thing that takes us from a, oh yeah, I'll watch that on a Saturday afternoon on cable to hey, that's something that I'll sit down and I'll watch and maybe you know even watch it a second time or if you're me and you're a little crazy, five or six times. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why we love you. <laughs> Well, you know, I've got a little nostalgia for this movie too. Like the, when I saw it, I was in my early twenties and it was only a couple of years probably. Cause I didn't see the usual suspects when it came out, but I saw it before I saw this and I saw it before the prestige. And that movie had a big impact on me in terms of like how to tell a story. And mm-hmm. then I saw this and this was another one of those where it's, it's a different type of story structure. I like the kind of nonlinear storytelling that it does. So you know, it just, I have some nostalgia for this. And again, a good cast is going to get me. And I, I like Travolta in this. I will yeah. watch anything Samuel L. Jackson is in, even if it is snakes on a plane. I will, you know. <laughs> the cast does have a tendency to carry a movie for sure. I think, um, I, I would say the nostalgic quote kind of uh, pins for me for um, two of my top favorite movies, which is Hackers and Boondock Saints for the same reason, because yep. the cast carries. Both Ab- of those movies are carried by the cast. Absolutely. Hackers would definitely not be anything remotely redeemable if it weren't for the cast that it has, whether it's, you know, Matthew Lillard, absolutely. whether it's Johnny Lee Miller, Angelina Jolie, all of them. Even Love that movie. Pendulette. Oh, Pendulette. <laughs> Fisher Stevens. Like, I love that movie. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Um,. I have a couple of clips I want to play because this movie for me, because of my connection to it, I quote this movie every so often. And sometimes it's the quotes I take out of context. Like uh, this one for me is one that I like to use a lot because I just love the delivery of it. Now, if I were a smart man and I am not. When he's walking down the hallway, I just love that. So I use that quite a bit on people. If I were a smart man, which I am not, I could figure this out. Um, Let's see. Some of these aren't written well. What's this? Hoo-ha, Sergeant! Oh, just hoo-ha, Sergeant. Okay. <laughs> oh, I love this. This was one of the moments in the movie that makes you not trust Ken- anything Kendall has to say when he says that Pike came into the bunker and then said, I killed him. Like, just came right out and said, I killed him. That right I there killed. puts you on a point of like, oh, I don't know if I really believe anything Kendall has to say now because no one's going to admit that. Right. And then he gives, but then he gives a very valid reason for it, right? So immediately he tries to say, well, you know, he figured we'd all be on board with it because blah, blah, blah. So, but it immediately gives you a, a sense that you don't totally trust him. Yeah, something's off. Um, oh, this was some more uh, John Travolta flirting. I was trying to get your number. Which I liked that. Um, when he asked her, this was another cool one, and I never really thought about it until I saw this movie as an interrogation technique. When he asks her, is he cute? And she bristles at that, and his uh-huh. reasonings for that were really good. His um, reasons were 100% Okay, valid. I'm biased here, only because, uh, without getting too personal, my father was a detective for Chicago police <laughs> for... Okay. 20 years or so so 
and I've done some training on the side myself and whatnot, but there's like a lot of neat little things that um, stuff like that is even something like a handshake, depending on how you shake someone's hand. If you put your hand over theirs or under mm-hmm. theirs, you show dominance or submission. Um, it's all psychological. You don't want to talk like I'm just I'm trying. How do I put this nicely? But like <laughs> detectives would find out if like, hey, if I'm talking to a Jewish person and they would make a point not to wear khakis. Because okay. brings up Nazi type, ah, okay. type things okay. like refrain from leather, refrain from khakis, like refrain from things that would trigger somebody's responses. So I've learned through my experiences and just again family, police, etc. That like there's definitely not only interrogation techniques, but even just interviewing techniques, Level clues, and well, interviewing techniques or even um, witness statements. You mm. want to make a witness comfortable. You also play to those strengths of like, you know, how they carry themselves, how do they act, how shaken are they, this and this. And you make all those notes because at some point, if they get rattled, you go, ooh, I hit a button. Yeah. Okay. All of a sudden, your okay. personality you know, just shifted. Something happened. What just happened? So the fact that he's like, is he cute? And she gets all like bristled about it. He's like, no, no, listen, confidence is this. What's his measure of a character? Who is he? That. All, could also it, it, that's also could have been matters. a hand tipping thing right there too of Travolta being like that's one of ours. I mean, <clears throat> uh, how does he act? How does he? <laughs> well, and I think the purpose of it was to establish that Tom Hardy is a good investigator, right? Oh, he's and he's to. good at it being because they they make the line of like there was nobody better in a room than Tom Hardy, and he can get inside your head faster than you can tie your shoes. So you got to have some some ways that that happens. So I did like that quite a bit. Uh, but this was, was him. Good. This was him ta- talking to Osborne. Get over yourself for two and a half seconds and tell me, is he cute? So, yep. I kept no, I kept this part as a clip now that I can play whenever. Is he cute? Because sometimes <laughs> you just want to know. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, what is this? Can I get a hoo-ha, Sergeant? Okay. Hoo-ha! <laughs> I didn't label these very well, so I don't even know what half of them are. This one was... You broke my goddamn nose. Oh, that one. I keep that's that forever too, because that's a good line. Yeah. Um. Oh. Not scratching your balls. Touching my nose, not scratching your balls. I'll look for both. Look, look for, for both. both. Uh. This one. Oh yeah. Okay. This. I don't quote this that often, but it did stick with me as a line. They'll cut you a new asshole. Because I don't like. That's that's rough. That's a harsh one. Um, I really liked this line. This this was probably the best. And this is why I say I wanted more screen time with uh, Travolta and Jackson together because you get something like this. Negative. I just transferred to Arlington Cemetery. Mm-hmm. You keep talking shit and you're liable to make roll call. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is just that's that's two people that really know each other and like working with each other. And yeah. talk a little shit, and it's okay because we're used <laughs> to it. No, yes. Yeah. And yeah, I agree with you. That that would have been fun to see more of. I see you pointing at me. That's very much a banter between Red and I. Like easily, easily something that both of us. Oh, uh, we we talked. Matt's oh, yeah. <laughs> We have to edit half the half our show because it's <laughs> vulgar. Uh, and then the last one I had was uh, just a, a supercut of tell the story right because it's one of those lines that got repeated. There was that one, and then the you didn't feel comfortable falling asleep next to him was the other line that they that used as a trigger moment. But uh-huh. I, I did grab the supercut kind of thing at the end where it was, All we got to do is tell 
Tell the story right. So I love stuff like that in movies. I don't know, little breadcrumbs that you get thrown throughout. So that was definitely a uh, the thing that I got reminiscent of that was the video game Bioshock. Oh yeah, you ever mm-hmm. played? Yep. Where um, would you kindly was yes. like the big the big like tip of like oh son of a gun that's what's going on. So yeah, it, it had that remin- that had that same shock value of like damn it that's the that's the trigger phrase. That's- <laughs> yep. But you don't, you know, it's one of those where they used it sparingly. They didn't overdo it in the movie, and I'm glad that they did that. They only had it those three times, and actually, that clip has Tay Diggs as Pike saying it. It has um, Brian Van Holt as Pike when it's revealed that he was Pike saying it, mm-hmm. and then it has Travolta. But what I like is that's the only time you see him, uh, you see Van Holt's character say it twice in the movie, but you only hear it once. Because the first right. time it's in a flashback and it's just him mouthing the words. Yep. So I, I liked that too. So yeah, overall, I enjoy this movie. I'm glad you guys did too. I, I'm glad that you got to see it and actually learn that it exists because it's, like I said at the beginning, it's an underseen movie that I think more people should see because I think a lot of people would enjoy it. A lot more would than you would think. It's a fun movie, especially now where everything is so spectacle and so crazy. Like, Go in and just see it. Just kind of, I, I want to be like, God, yeah, just take your pants off, just sit and enjoy it. Like it's one of those like really, just strap in and just, you know just try not to think too much. And, yeah, exactly. Or if, and if you never, if you don't know anything about it, if any of your, if your listeners or anybody here has like never seen or never even heard it, I mean, obviously we spoiled the hell out of it by now. <laughs> but anybody that hasn't seen it, like, go in with just try to try to pick it apart in real time. Again, I I teased the fact that we paused it, and in a way that pausing allowed us to kind of get back on our, like get off of our heels. I yeah. think a big bit with the fact that it's only an hour 30, the fact that it comes at you really quick, the fact that the story changes so rapidly to the point of they show the same scene twice and change out people. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same. And it's a different character. Now you're like trying to put pieces together. And it seems like six characters really, I think six people is just enough to make it confusing enough to go, wait, who's who? And mm-hmm. then be still, follow at the end of it when and still they be able to follow everyone it. correct yes yeah you that's get more than that and it's too much and that's the joy of having as we mentioned earlier some of these characters that are very like stock one note characters it's easier for people to believe a lie when oh that 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 story checks out because right. nunez is crazy sob so it checks out it works yeah. then it works for creating that because everybody's gonna say oh no she's crazy regardless of who's lying the truth of that is she's crazy. So they do so they do a good job of playing that out too of these one note characters. Yeah, because let's be honest. I mean, in in reality, every one of these people has much more dimension to them than these characters that they're portraying. But when you're telling a story, not every character has to be super deep three-dimensional. You need two-dimensional characters. You need structural characters that are there as a plot device. And that's what you know, Castro and Nunez and to an extent Mueller are basically, that's what they are. That's why they can be a two-dimensional cardboard cutout of a character. And it Well, you even go, go a step deeper. They're never there. Like they are just somebody's retelling. This whole, the whole movie is somebody's retelling of yes. characters. Mm-hmm. No need to be a two-dimensional. As yeah. long as the story is all right. Like yep, it's, exactly. You see Nunez, you just get, well, except at the end, but you just get to just see what they perceive Nunez as or perceive Mueller as. So it works in that way too. Uh, there's no three dimension. Yeah. Because it's me telling you about this person. And I'm not going to tell you about their innermost desires and their wishes and why did it, 
this girl crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Yep. Yeah. Don't let, so this had a meta score of 34, which is critics. Um, don't let that dissuade you. It's IMDb scores a six and a half out of 10, which is a lot closer to what it really is. It's Rotten enjoyable. Like, come on. Yeah. It was it, it, enjoyable. I'm glad I didn't read anything before I watched it. Cause I think that would have kind of like tainted my, my perception of it. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming on because this was a fun discussion and this was a ton of fun. Now, let people know where can they find the Gray Muscles? Well, we are Gray Muscle Geekery. We can be found on any of your uh, pod-finding catcher devices. Um, (laughs) We are on Twitter as Gray Muscle Geek. And then every other thing between Instagram, on Buzzsprout, on Facebook, we are Gray Muzzle Geekery. And yeah, I mean, we just a couple, not, not quite old farts, but we're old enough that uh, we do all sorts of news, geek news, and then whatever happens throughout the week, we kind of touch on in terms of uh, hobbies and uh, nuances of things that grew up or that we grew up with and are able to kind of see it from a slightly older perspective. Yeah, and it's a fun show. I I try to pop in and listen live whenever I can, um, but I, I always enjoy it. So, yeah, thank you guys for being on. Now, this show I record Sunday nights. Right here, it's uh, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. And then uh, as a podcast, you can find it, Wait, You Haven't Seen, with a question mark and some dots in there because I wanted to make it as hard as possible to find. But you can <laughs> find it anywhere. Um, or you can go to my website, which is tvstravis.com, and you can find where to subscribe to it right there. Uh, we do shows every week. This was the 79th episode. Coming up next week for episode number 80, I have a very special guest. I'm going to be watching the movie Wanted. And oh. my guest, I actually have two, Monica Stone and Scott Johnson are coming on. Oh. And we're going to talk about that. I finally was able to to nail down a time to have Scott on. So I've been working on that for a little while now. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm gonna, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, also I have, and I'm going to put this up for the, for the visual viewers, I have stickers that I have of my logo and I'm giving them away. If you get a hold of me on Twitter um, and at reply and just ask for one, uh, all I need is your address and I will send you a a sticker or two in the case of you two. Get on that way. So um, yeah. And so coming up next week is wanted with Scott Johnson and Monica stone. Uh, I'm looking forward to this one. I had a ton of fun. Uh, Thank you both. This was fun this week. I always like talking with you guys. We'll do it again. I, I just, I love it. I love talking movies and you guys have really interesting insights. I like getting an insight from somebody who is a self-proclaimed movie, movie buff and from somebody who doesn't look at themselves as being a movie buff. I am a movie buff, but I am a nerd. So we do have that Venn diagram of awesome. And again, thank you. Yay. Thanks to you, Travis. That was, that was awesome. A lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. So until next week, and uh, oh, and next week's taping or recording is going to be earlier in the day. Uh, it's going to be at 1 p.m. Eastern uh, for Wanted. Yeah. So I and I'll I'll schedule. Yeah, and I'll be <laughs> I'll be putting that out on Twitter too and reminding people. But until then, I just want to say get out and enjoy your movies. And it's a weird time, so be excellent to each other.
Do you remember the triplets? Yeah. Raul's daughters? Mm -hmm. It's hotter. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>